I hid myself for so many years. People never got to know the real me because it was always a barrier. And that barrier was my makeup and my clothing that was just protecting who I was. Welcome to the Silent Elephant Project podcast, where we have conversations with everyday people living with life-limiting health conditions. We are not claiming to be specialists, but we are offering a therapeutic space to build dialogue around marginalised health themes, giving you the opportunity to listen in. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of the day you're listening to this. My name is Babs, and I'll be your host for this Silent Elephant Project podcast. World Vitiligo Day is the 25th of June and leading up to that day, we have a series of Vitiligo Awareness podcasts coming up. So for today, we've got Jotty, who is a firecracker, a trailblazer with regards to what she's doing with raising the awareness of Vitiligo. I can't wait for you guys to listen to what she has to say because whilst I was doing the interview, I was being inspired. I was being motivated and I was also being educated. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Good afternoon, Babs. Thank you for having me on your podcast today. I am Jyoti Gataora and I am 43 years old and from London. How has lockdown been treating you? Well, lockdown, lockdown's been really tough. Uh, When you've got two kids and you are teaching them as well as... I'm also a teacher, so working with with kids as well online, that was not a great combination. <laughs> it was I not can a great tell. Combination. Wow. So I have been a teacher for 16 years. Before that, I was working in corporate banking, and then from corporate banking, I always wanted to go into teaching and work with young people. I teach languages at school. I studied languages at uni, French and Spanish, and I wanted to be able to use them you know, in in some shape or form in my life. So I thought teaching would be the right way to go. So I applied for teaching PGCE and started working straight after that. And I've worked in two amazing schools in London and absolutely love what I do. I absolutely love what I do. But I am going to be leaving in six weeks time and making a huge transition, which I will talk about a little bit later. So I don't give too much away right now. It's like you've done this before. (laughs) Nice. We are here or you are here for the reason of giving the world a great insight into the condition of vitiligo. Now, I want you to educate myself and educate all our listeners with regards to what vitiligo is and how would you describe vitiligo? Vitiligo is an autoimmune skin condition that affects up to 1% to 3% of the world's population. And Babs, this, this condition doesn't discriminate against gender, against ethnicity or age. You know, it can come about at any time of one person's life. So for me, vitiligo started when I was 21 years old, you know, before I started talking about it, which was only four years ago, because I hid it from the world. And I'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. Many people thought, you know, oh, you know, maybe she was, you know, but she was burnt or um, she was born with this or it's an extended birthmark. But, you know, it starts with a white patch and the white patch can either sort of stay the same size and stay stable or it can spread. And in my case, 
it spreads rapidly across my body. Now, this is, like I said, a condition that does not discriminate against, you know, your the colour of your skin. So whether you're white, Asian, black, whatever colour skin you have, you can still have vitiligo. So for some people, it might not look apparent. Now that I've got vitiligo, I notice it on any skin tones. You tend to see it more visible on darker skin tones. And that's where the difficulty lies, when it's spreading across your body in different, in different shapes, you know, and you have no control over it. There isn't a diagnosis for vitiligo and there isn't a cure for vitiligo. Wow. Wow. So you were not born with vitiligo? I wasn't born with it, no. Um, But during my 21 years of research, I've met many people on my platform and some people were diagnosed at an extremely early age of like three or four years old. So again, you know, we just don't know whether this is hereditary, it skips a generation. I mean, we have been told in research that it can skip a generation. And... You know, when I look back at my heritage, my family, my background, my grandparents, you know, both my parents say none of my grandparents had this condition. Did someone else in my family have it? We don't know. Um, But as far as I'm aware, no one has this skin condition. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, that that nicely cues us on to the next question that I have, which is, tell us about your story. Tell us about your diagnosis story. So, you know, when I look at young people today, I always look at them and think, gosh, you know, their lives are so easy and they've got their whole world ahead of them. When I was 21 years old, I didn't have social media. My whole life was in my hands. But 21 years my whole world crumbled. It all fell apart. And that's because of one spot that appeared on the left of my arm. As I sort of mentioned previously, I I, a linguist, I teach languages. Um, I was living in Spain as part of my degree in the south of Spain. I was enjoying life out there. And I was coming back from my year abroad of studying Spanish. And just a couple of months before I was due to come back, I was talking to my flatmate and I was like, look at this on the left of my arm. And I tanned a lot, you know, in the south of Spain, you know, all those Costa del Sol regions. I was staying in Granada, but the south, it's very, very hot down there. And I tanned quite a lot. And if you imagine this kind of white spot appearing, and I said to my flatmate, what what do you think this is? And we were staring at it and looking at this patch, wondering what it was. You know, after a couple of hours of conversation, I just brought it down to the fact that it was sun exposure Maybe I, you know, it was something to do with the the blemishes in my skin, the fact that I'd been sitting in the sun, a suntan that just kind of was just not not completely covering up part of my skin. You know, I just kind of made my own diagnosis up in my head. I think, you know, this is this is what it is. You know, mm. didn't didn't really think much of it until I got back to the UK and my tan faded, and I was like, oh my god, huh. that there, there's more. This this spot's getting a little bit bigger this spot's getting more, you know, a bit bigger. It's getting bigger and bigger. And then I see another spot on the right of my arm, you know, and then I go back to the left of the arm and I see another spot and then it's symmetrical and I see another spot there on the right and I'm thinking, what's going on here? Like, what is happening to me? So, you know, it really took a toll on me. Um, Yeah, a very long story short, it messed me up completely. I had to take a year out of university. I couldn't go into my finals. Uh, Straight away, you know, the GP diagnosed it as vitiligo. And at that time, 
you know, in 2001, for the GP to diagnose it straight away as vitiligo was amazing because they did know what vitiligo was. But at that time, Babs, you know, when you were looking up your, you know, research on the internet, you had to wait for that dial tone. That dial tone was taking ages. And when you eventually got onto Google, you'd get one page, just one page of just, you know, very detailed research information that was done as a PhD by someone with lots of statistics in it, and you wouldn't even understand what it was. It was like another language. So none of that made sense to me. None of it made sense. The internet didn't support me. Uh, the GP told me you've got two options. You can you can go to King's College and you can get this light treatment, or you can just let it just be, but there's no guarantee it will stay as it is. It can it can spread. It can spread. Wow. And that's exactly what happened to me. So how long between the first spot and the next one and then the next one? Like, what was the time frame? Mm. How, how quick were they spreading? We're talking about days. We're talking about tiny dots. So if you imagine a beauty spot, that's how small the vitiligo patch started off with me. And then that spot would get bigger, like a pimple. And then it would get bigger, like a, you know, mole. And then it even bigger, like two moles put together. And then there'd be another sort of mole-sized patch. And those two would then start blending in. And that became one big patch. You know, you'd see the, the next thing appear symmetrically on, your, on the other side of your body. Same thing would happen. And it was just really bizarre. Um, so, you know, if you can sort of see the knuckles, if you can see my knuckles, you can see my brown pigment that's how the white pigment was on my on my hands to start off with you know and it always appeared in the very sensitive areas of my body you know and that's what i found really hard you know sort of it it appear in the most visible places so then it started on the face under the eyes you know the first time i saw that patch under my eye i was like that that's my face that's mm. where people are going to look at me you know fair enough it's on my body i can cover that up but we're talking about my face now. This goes into an, another depth of anxiety, you know? So it was spreading pretty rapidly. Wow. You've already touched on this. How did you feel straight after your diagnosis? So when the doctor actually told you what it was, how did you feel? I was besides myself, especially when he said to me, you can leave it as it is, but if you leave it as it is, it could spread and there's no control. I was also devastated when he said to me, there's Poover treatment at King's College, but there's no guarantee that it will work for you. Mm. It works for a small percentage of people. Poover is a, a form of a light treatment and you take the tablets, you take these tablets two hours before your treatment and then the light is supposed to stimulate the melanin back into your body. So when I was doing that, I did see some melanin coming back on some parts of my body, but then I also saw the vitiligo spreading. So I was almost caught up in this, do I carry on or do I not carry on with this? And as I was going through this whole process, it's almost like torture. You know, I was tortured inside my head because on mm. one hand, I'm like, I need to carry on with this. I need to fix this. I've got to fix this. I've got to sort this out because... No one can see this vitiligo. No one can see these white patches because it was embarrassing. It was something to be ashamed of 21 years ago because we don't talk about body positivity like we talk about it today. There was no such thing as body positivity. I never saw someone on TV who looked like me, let alone someone with vitiligo. You know, I never saw a teacher at school who looked like me. I never saw any role models in magazines. You know, all the magazines I opened were just 
this perfect image of beauty, of beauty standards. So there was never anyone that represented what normality was, what people really do look like. And for me, I thought this was just something that I had to hide. So I was determined to carry on with the treatment because I wanted to fix it. At 21, when your whole life is ahead of you, when you define how you look as the most important thing in the world, which is what most young people do, all you want to do is fix that issue. I couldn't agree more. Like, I mean, funny enough, you got diagnosed at the age of 21. I got diagnosed at the age of 21. And it's something about, you know, 21 is like you're, ent- you're entering adulthood. And it's just kind of a weird time to get diagnosed because it's almost like it defines the rest of your life. I mean, you definitely have literally been defined by it. But I think what we want to do is use that definition and champion it. Because at the end of the day, there's a lot of people who will walk in your shoes in their life and they need to have some resource to be able to feel positive about life post-diagnosis. So that being said, how does an average day look like for you? And number two is, is it still spreading? Life has changed for me massively, uh, massively. Like I cannot explain how things are so different. I mean, let's put it this way. I used to cover up my skin from top to bottom Top to bottom, I would go into the work into work when I was working in the city in corporate, wearing long sleeve clothing on the underground, sweating, sweating on the underground, wow. you know, with my face full of makeup, but you know, like holding the tissue, just tapping my face down because I was dripping with makeup in the summer, but determined not to let anyone see my skin. When you're working in the city like that, you know, you're working people that are very superficial. It's all about how you dress. And that was so difficult to keep up with. I then went into teaching and I still hid my vitiligo because when I was um, about 2007, I found a steroid treatment and this steroid treatment started working for me and it helped me repigment. And I was about 90% repigmented with the steroid treatment. I put on a lot of weight with the steroid treatment. I went up to about size 14 and my face was big and round, but I didn't really care about that because I was brown. I was turning brown. I was getting my skin back, you know, and this was brilliant. I then ended up, you know, falling pregnant with my daughter and I had to stop the steroid treatment and I was devastated. So I'm just kind of giving you a really quick overview about those 20 years. When I fell pregnant with my daughter, I realized that I wanted to be able to do all the things that a mum does with her baby. I wanted to go for swim classes. I wanted to start joining baby groups and be myself and not hide myself. I hid myself for so many years. People never got to know the real me because it was always a barrier. And that barrier was my makeup and my clothing that was just protecting who I was. I was always scared of people seeing my skin and judging me and making comments or saying hurtful things. And I wasn't strong enough to to take that on. I wasn't strong enough to to tell them what I thought. And I hadn't accepted it. And, And I think because I hadn't accepted it, I wasn't ready mentally to say this is who I am. So I hid it. So when I was working in the city, when I was working in teaching, that's what I did. But four years ago, four years ago, my life changed. It changed. And this is where my day, a day in my life is completely different to how a day in my life was. I did a little bit of work with the BBC and I did a documentary which was called Misfits Like Us and I went on to uh, this documentary to talk about vitiligo and it's the first time that I went on to TV on TV with my arms exposed. 
Now, coming from a you know a place where I hid everything, it was a massive step for me. Like it was a huge step for me to be able to go on to national TV with my arms exposed. I remember the producer, he turned around and said to me, can you do one thing for us? And I said, yeah, what? And he goes, will you come on tomorrow's shoot and take off your makeup? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and he's like, but you've done your arms, just do your face. I'm like, look, this has taken a long time for me to be able to, to just show my arms and my neck. It's gonna take a long time for me to show my face and I'm not ready for it just yet. And he did try to kind of like encourage me, but I look back at it now and I realize I wasn't at that right place. Mm. Anyway, did the documentary and I, I realized that all the students at school were going to see this. And I'm like, my God, I can't go into work now with my face covered. I can't go into work. I want to be confident. Like the, the documentary really empowered me. And that's when I set up my Instagram account and people started um, connecting with me and asking me questions like, my God, it was really great what you talked about. And, 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 you know, you really empowered me and they were reaching out and I started to feel empowered. And then one day, probably about six months later after the documentary, I walked into school without any makeup and with a sleeveless outfit. And I walked into school hoping the students were going to turn around and they were going to go, oh, my God, look at this. Oh, my God, look at this. Look at this. But no one, no one reacted to it. No one reacted to it. And I know I sound really hyper now, but honestly, that's how I felt. I, I remember walking in and I was like, why isn't anyone looking at my skin? <laughs> you know, this is what they need to be looking at because I had it all in my head. This is what I thought. I thought people were just staring at me, watching me, always looking at me. But what I failed to realize is, you know what, people are busy with their own lives. People hmm. are not always looking at what you are, you know, what, what's on your, what you've got on your face. People might be looking at a pair of shoes you're wearing. People might be looking at a top you're wearing. Oh, that's a nice top she's got on. And there's me thinking they're staring at my skin. Hmm. So I think, you know, where I am now is just so different to where I was before, but it's taken a lot of steps for me to get there. A lot of st steps for me to get there. And in my everyday to day life, that means a school run, turning up at the school run without any makeup on, knowing the school mum's going to look at me and think, oh, you know, she had makeup on, but she's not got makeup. What's that on her face? You know, because I'm not going to start openly talking about my skin journey to anyone unless they come up and say, what is this? They're going to have their own impressions, their own visions, their own ideas, their own thoughts about what happened to her. Did she get burnt in a fire? Is that a birthmark? What is that on her skin? But now I don't care. I've got to that point, Babs, I don't care. If someone wants to ask me a question, they can come up and say what's happened. But I'm positively advocating that it is okay to be where you are in your own journey, with your own skin. And that's what I've been doing massively at my school. Since, um, you know, since I've been talking about body positivity, I've done assemblies, I've done motivational talks. My school have literally said, go with it, go with it and just do all these talks for every year group because they need it. And it has been life-changing for not only the students I teach, but also staff because they've come up to me and they've said to me, you know, Jyoti, you've also educated us. As professionals, you've educated us because now when we see someone with vitiligo, we know exactly what it is. And that to me feels like I've done the job. I've done the job of supporting my students, 
coming in and saying to them, look, girls, this is Miss, and I'm happy how I am. And you don't need to come in with your eyelashes. You don't need to come in with your makeup. You're at school and no one's judging you. And you just need to be confident in who you are. And that's what I love. That's what I absolutely love about where I am now and the role model I am to the students I teach and the role model I am to the children I'm bringing up. Really, really motivated and excited by what Jyoti has been saying. She's really, really embraced and embodied her, you know, condition. And I just feel like right now, the power and the passion has got me jumping on my seat. And I want to just say, I'm pretty sure it has not always been like this, not just for yourself, but also for your family. So my first question is, how has it been on your family from the day of diagnosis onto the point where you're at now and what you're doing with your life? From the day of diagnosis, life was really tough because I hid it from, you know, family, extended family. And coming from a South Asian background where so much emphasis is placed on how you look, you know, you really feel like you need to fit in. And in order to do that, in order how I dealt with that was covering up my vitiligo because I didn't want my parents to be judged. I didn't want my family to be judged. You know, I didn't want repercussions for my sister. So I did. I kept it hidden. And it was incredibly difficult because whilst I was hiding my vitiligo, I'm sure that extended family could see that I, I was covering something up. No one ever asked me any questions. And I think I was always very on guard, very much I had my guard up, my barriers up. You know, I didn't want anyone to talk to me about it. I didn't want to talk about it. I wasn't ready to talk about it. Mentally, I wasn't ready to open up to anyone about it. I wasn't even ready to open up with myself about it. So how was I going to open up with anyone else? So I did. I kept it hidden. And I think that that was the worst thing I could have done to myself. If there is anything I want to share with anyone listening to this, don't cover up and don't hide what you're going through because you know what? That's just inflicting more pain within yourself. And that's what I did essentially to myself. Until I started obviously coming out of my shell four years ago, as I mentioned in part one with the documentary, you know, everyone was really overwhelmed because that was the first time that I openly talked about my skin in such a real and honest way and I didn't have to talk to people face to face about it they just had to simply watch that documentary and know about my story with the vitiligo so I felt I kind of eased myself into that without any direct confrontation and I think people really kind of warmed to my story and they realized how hard it was to hide the skin and they realized why I hid my skin because you know we're living in a society where, you know, people are judging you on how you look, how you dress, how you walk, how you talk, you know, what you're doing, how you're eating. Every single thing you do in your life, you are judged. And I think we only have to just look at celebrities to see one step that they make, one move that they make, you know, mm. someone who's not wearing makeup, someone who's come out of their house and they've had a photographer that's taken a picture of them and it's gone all across, you know, the papers. They were dressed this way. They were looking this way. You know, we are. We are living that kind of society. But I think that over time, my resilience and my attitude and my thick skin started to kick in. And as that started to kick in, I started to think, you know what? The more I'm talking about this, the more I'm empowering people, the more people are connecting with me on my social media, the more I'm helping people. Why am I hiding this? And, you know, I started to get family asking me questions about it. And they were really kind of in awe about it. They were inspired with the work that I was doing. 
And I started to take part in more projects. I started to do more media coverage and I'd share those links with my family and they would come back to me and say, gosh, we didn't know you went through this. And every time I'd be sharing something new about my vitiligo journey. And as I was doing that, I was educating them and they were reading up about this and they were understanding it and they were understanding what I went through and what I'm going through on a day-to-day basis. And now I think my family's approach is a lot more different to how it was and it's only changed because of my mindset and my attitude towards my vitiligo nice cute because right now i'm gonna ask you what motivates you because this motivation does not just come from outside this is definitely from within so what motivates you what motivates me i think there are four things that motivate me First of all, my husband, because he's always said to me, I never want you to cover up your skin. Don't cover it up. You know, just be you. Just be the person that you are. And so he's always been my backbone and he's always pushed me. My kids motivate me because I want to be the role model for them that they grow up and they say, you know what, I'm confident in who I am. And they can spread that body positivity with their peers and their friends and their family. And they can grow up and be strong role models themselves from who I am and what I've created in them and instilled in them. My ethos and my values stem from my family. So my mum, my sister, my dad who's passed away, you know, those those core ethos stem from my family because even though I'm British Asian and I'm turning white, the colour of my skin doesn't define who I am. And that still drives me to still hold my cultural values close to who I am and still talk about this in a really open way. There are some really strong body positive ambassadors who I follow on my Instagram and they inspire me because they show me that you know what you can still be beautiful and you can still be yourself and you can still go out there and you can achieve everything you want to and your skin doesn't have to hold you back you know so they're people that I follow who are very much kind of ambassadors like I am for the British Skin Foundation for the Vitiligo Society and we're all championing the same thing talking about visual representation Last year, I took part in London Fashion Week, which was like a massive, massive project for me because years ago, I would never have envisaged myself as a five foot one Asian girl with a visual skin condition taking part in London Fashion Week, but I did. And every single time I have a challenge or I have, you know, a project that I'm faced with, you know, I take that project on board and I think, you know what? All these people around me that are inspiring me and motivating me are the ones that are pushing me along. But ultimately, I think it does come down to my last role model. And that that is that is I'm gonna say myself and my mentality and my my attitude, because if I didn't change the attitude within my head, then I wouldn't be in the place that I am now. So I know it sounds really weird, and I've never said this on any podcast, I've never said this on my Instagram. But I think I inspire myself because, you know, the days spent where I I was crying, where I, I couldn't live life anymore, where I hid from the world, I hid in clothing, I hid with makeup. I spent thousands of pounds on steroid treatment because I was trying to please other people. And now I'm trying to please myself. So, you know, to be able to say that, you know, I'm inspiring myself. <laughs> I know it sounds really weird, but I do have people around me, but I'm finding that strength every single day to do new things that I thought I couldn't do. 
I agree with you. You know, I'm so glad I've met somebody who says the exact same thing I say, which is I inspire myself too as well. And it sounds like a cocky thing to say. It really is true. And I understand what you mean. I agree with you. And I say, if you can't inspire yourself, I feel like the, the encouragement or the motivation will be on a fickle ground. Mm. So I feel like the foundation should start from yourself. You know, that's the actual main thing. You should have that solid foundation and confidence in what you are about. And I think it's all a, it's all a journey of discovery and progress. And I can see that in your journey, um, which is really, really rich. And that cues us up to the next one, which is in the next 10 years, where do you see yourself? I'm leaving teaching on a career break to go into presenting because I've been talking about visual skin differences and disabilities on my on my Instagram and on my YouTube channel, talking about it really openly about, you know, the, the challenges that people are faced with on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think, you know, through my journey, I've been inspired by other people's journeys and, you know, I've kind of taken it on board now to kind of go in and talk about this a bit more in depth. I would love to see myself doing some proper presenting. I'd love to see myself maybe on TV doing some work with people, young people, and maybe just even just adults who are struggling with coping with change. How do we cope with change? What are the tools that we use to cope with change? And, and doing a bit, you know, a bit of work on that would be amazing. In 10 years time, I would love to continue doing the work that I'm doing in so many different ways through my presenting, um, but also doing a lot of outreach work as well. I don't know what's going to happen in 10 years time. I, I might have turned completely white, but I would never, ever want to turn my back on the fact that I lived with this condition and it was forever a changing condition that once I was brown, then I was white. Then I turned brown again with steroids. Now I'm turning white. And did you know, Babs, that once your skin turns white, as you can see it like this, you can still get pigment back and it can turn brown. And one of my close friends who's, who's turned completely white is now starting to see brown spots. So it's, it's a condition that psychologically, once you get your head in one place and you've accepted it, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And all I can say is, I just want to be in a happy place in 10 years time, a happy place of acceptance, love and positivity. Jyoti, you've blown my mind, man. Honestly, you've blown my mind. And I think that is one of the best sort of like responses ever because it means it's, it's really something that is not tangible. So you can't put it to, or oh, I want to achieve this. I want to achieve this. I want to achieve that. You want to be in a happy place. That's internal. And I think that's something that when you live with a, life limiting or um, a health condition that kind of changes your whole perspective on life or your whole paradigm on life it lets you go within and everything that is constant is within you know nothing outside the outside are variables but the inside is the constant and i feel like once your constant is solid you know you're kind of unbreakable and that's why you inspire yourself because you can see that within nothing can shake you you're you're, you're unshakable you know you're unshakable which is brilliant i love that is there 
anything in particular you want people who are listening to this podcast to take away from this podcast yeah i think that whatever you're going through in life you know we're always going to be faced with a challenge a difficulty you know something that's going to throw us off board make us feel really uncomfortable with what the situation is but we've got to remember that we're not alone and that there are so many other people that might be going through that same journey as ourselves and we've got to reach out for that support because i didn't have social media so i didn't reach out for that support because there was no one i could really turn to so make sure you reach out to your local charity or you know for example in my case at the british skin foundation the vitiligo society you know and they will always put you in touch with ambassadors or people that are out there to support you and can help you and advise you as well it's really important to communicate and not to be on your own the one thing that i think is really important the second thing is just to remember that we sometimes as individuals can keep things within ourselves because we think that's the best way of doing it but sometimes that just creates more anxiety and more stress and more worry um and and that's the worst thing that we can do so you know always making sure you're reaching out to that one person you can talk to whether it's you know that person could be a school teacher that could person could be your aunt could be your next door neighbor someone that you trust someone that you can just let go and just alleviate some of that tension that you're feeling and you'll feel so much better i know that it's not easy nowadays as well we talk about social media being this place of you know great support i know that sometimes it can be very negative and it can make people feel worse than they, than they actually feel themselves so really sort of research and look into support groups very similar to what you're going through because you're not alone and i think that's really important you're not alone. I think that's important for people to know that. In that sense, how do you think that the care systems are in place right now or the public knowledge of vitiligo can be improved if any improvement is needed? Unfortunately, with the NHS here in the UK, they're never going to pump that money into research because they don't consider it as a, a life-threatening condition. But medical professionals fail to understand is that psychologically it, it can really destroy a person. And when we talk about destroy, we're, we're, we're talking about like the worst, you know, form of, you know, feeling insecure and anxious and worried about yourself, you know, and having these negative thoughts and how it can make you feel, um, which is which is really awful. There is a lot more understanding about vitiligo. And now when you Google it, it's all over the place, you know, on the Internet, which is brilliant. It's fantastic. So, you know, people know that there is a place for them to go to or a place for them to hit a link and, you know, get more information about. On one hand, I feel like the the NHS could do more to more emphasis into research to find a cure for it. And I think that's what really does affect me because, you know, there are people out there that are really desperately trying to find cures for the skin condition. And, you know, there isn't anything as such proven that cures vitiligo i know on my youtube i've interviewed someone with a really inspirational story who's managed to manage her vitiligo and contain it through diet and nutrition um and i'm, I'm forever meeting people that are trying different ways of managing the vitiligo and they are very successful in how they're doing it but i think there needs to be you know more done to find some kind of cure for this condition because you know, as much as we're out there talking about it and celebrating our differences and, you know, World Vitiligo Day is the 25th of June 
you know, and we're going to be celebrating and, and, and we're going to be uniting people and we're going to be championing this across the world. And, you know, I've got a brilliant project that's out as well, collaborating lots of different people internationally about vitiligo. This is all very great and this is brilliant. But what I would love to see is I would love to see more medical research being done to find a cure for it. Because whilst we've got people that accept the skin they're in, there are also people that are not in that place, that don't want to cure their vitiligo, that are not happy showing off their skin, that want to to be able to, you know, heal their vitiligo. And I think we've got to understand both sides to this. I like that, you know, and 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 that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which is, you probably already answered it, which is, if there was a cure, would you go for the cure? And for me, you're already telling me that either way, it's okay. So like, say, for example, somebody is confident with their vitiligo and they say they want to keep it going, that's fine, you know? And if somebody says they want to find a cure, that's fine, okay, as well. But it's it's really good to have, you know, People understand, that's the whole point of this podcast, people should understand the, the condition and be okay with that. Because one thing I also learned, which is it's not um, contagious. You can't touch somebody with vitiligo and get it. Correct. You're absolutely correct. And I think this is the thing. People are in two different places. They've either just been diagnosed and they haven't accepted it, and that's where I was, or they've been diagnosed and they have accepted it after time or after a short period of time. And, you know, I think what we really need to do is just to kind of support people that are in both places, because I have people who I support who haven't come out of their shell, and I'm an inspiration to them, because I show off my vitiligo, but I'm constantly reminding them, this didn't happen overnight, it took me 21 years. If I didn't fall pregnant, I didn't have my daughter, maybe I'd still be on this podcast today with you all covered up with makeup, talking about how hard it is, you know. But these life-changing situations had made me come out of my shell. And I think that's where we need to respect everyone's decision about where they are in their journey with vitiligo. Well said. Well said. Well said. So the last question, massive question. What would you tell your teenage self about living with vitiligo? Oh, I love that question. Absolutely love that question. I would say two things. Be yourself because you know what? I see far too many young people trying to be someone they're not and it just gets them into more trouble or just creates this kind of persona that doesn't replicate who they are. Be yourself, be you, because if you can be yourself and be unique just the way you are, people will love you for who you are. And secondly is, you know, you know, find role models that inspire you in a really nice, authentic way. Don't look up to people that make you feel insecure, that make you feel uncomfortable, because those people just add to the anxiety of trying to make you achieve perfection when you are perfectly okay the way you are, you know? And I think that is, you know, the message that I'm trying to get out there. And that's the message that I've been sharing with the young people I work with. Just be you. Don't change the person that you are. You know, um, because as you evolve through life, you know, you've got to be confident and comfortable in the skin that you're in. And if it doesn't start now, when is it ever going to start? Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and just letting everybody know what vitiligo is, what living with it is like and getting yourself comfortable with whatever side of the fence you sit on. And I like yeah. that. I absolutely like that. And that's pure respect. And thank you so much for doing that. 
I hope it's okay to share with you um, the work that I've been doing. If anybody really wants to find out more about vitiligo or skin conditions and how to support people, my brand name is Positively Diverse. And you can find me on my YouTube where I do interview people about covering up vitiligo. I did a really lovely interview with a lady from Vitiligo who has got a camouflage product which covers up vitiligo. And she uses it because she really believes in it. She hasn't accepted the skin that she's in and she covers up her vitiligo. Um, So, you know, I support people who cover up and I also support people that are ambassadors and confident in who they are. So if anybody wants to um, tune in and have a listen to any of these interviews, you can find me on Positively Diverse across all social media platforms. And I hope that my content, you know, inspires you. Do reach out if you've got a question about vitiligo, about your vitiligo journey, or if you know someone who's struggling with it, definitely get in touch with me and I'll be more than happy to support and help. I don't know about you, but I have been inspired by Jyoti. Everything she said, everything she's doing, everything in her being is inspirational. And I think one of the things I I like to take out from there is she acknowledged the fact that some people are still not comfortable with showing their skin and some people are comfortable. But whichever side of the fence you're on, it's okay. All right, it's okay. Do not feel pressured to be comfortable because some of you might just not feel comfortable about it. I was definitely inspired by the fact that she says she inspires herself because I understand completely. As a cancer survivor myself, I understand what she means by she inspires herself because I inspire myself too. So, until later, you can always find us at the silentelephantproject.org to find out more about what the Silent Elephant Project is or on our social media platforms at FreshRBCIC on all social media platforms. And you can find out more about these podcasts and how to also get involved. We can't wait to hear from you and we can't wait till our next podcast. So until then, stay safe, stay blessed, speak soon.